Hi, I'm Pastor Stewart. I'm glad you're listening to this series on the healthy family. It's based on the book Family to Family by Dr. Jerry Peitsch and Victor Lee. It is my hope that in this series, you will learn how your family can be God-honoring and passing that faith on to generations to come. For more information, you can contact us at cbcstanton.org. And I kind of want to ask a question just to start. Are you a part of a Christian family? Or if maybe, you know, you don't have your own family, you're a child or or whatever, but were you raised in a Christian family? Now, I would answer that question, yes, but I think this passage uh, that we're going to look to today to, to kind of set the, the place where we need to be defines a Christian family in a very, very uh, strict way, especially, and, and you may not see it as we, as we look at it, but especially in how a family ought to be functioning. And I'm going to take some principles out of here and show, hopefully, um, some help for the family. So if you want to stand up, we're, we're going to start reading in verse 31. Something that Jesus said to, to us. And he knows what's going to happen. And I don't know if he is using this to illustrate it or this is literally how it's going to look. Um, either way is good with me uh, because the, the essence of what he's saying here is what's going to happen for sure. But he says in verse 31, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Absolutely true. Before him will be gathered all the nations. Absolutely true. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd Separates the sheep from the goats. Again, I believe literally, literally true. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Now, obviously, it's not real sheep and real goats. Okay, they're going to define a certain type of person. And he goes on to define what he meant by sheep and what he meant by goats. Verse 34, then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him. These are the ones on the right. These are the sheep. Saying, Lord... When did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Now, that's where it says we're going to stop, but I ain't stopping. Look at verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. I don't know if you ever noticed that, but the, the devil don't run hell. God runs hell and hell don't rent. Hell is the destination of Satan, not the, the kingdom of Satan. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. 
And then they also will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Father, give us eyes of understanding. Open our eyes, for we are blind to your word except for the power of your spirit. Open our eyes to see the wonderful truths of your word. Help us to apply them in our life. God, we ask you to rebuke the enemy from us. Uh, Lord, we know that uh, he is a roaring lion. And uh, he's been invited to our city next weekend. And so, Lord, we pray that uh, today, as, as his uh, forerunners are arriving, that, Lord, in Jesus' name, you would give us freedom in this place. Camp your mightiest angels about us. That we could hear clearly your call to our hearts and lives. Lord, we bind every uh, device and, and intention and strategy of our enemy this morning. Uh, in this time, Lord, may you be glorified in us and through us and with us. In Jesus' name, amen. And y'all can sit down if you want. Now, you say, well, how do those scriptures, how does that scripture, and I think it would be a valid question, define the Christian family? Well, the, the basic idea of the sermon today was to be how your family can be involved in ministering to those basically outside of your family. And this, these verses are, were germane, and the phrase was, unto the least of these. And, and, and so as we look at this passage, the question is, when I ask, are you a part of a Christian family or, or did you grow up in a Christian family, is this, did you minister to those who are hungry and thirsty and alone and in prison and naked and in trouble? Because <laughs> there was a, a great songwriter, singer in the 70s and early 80s, he went to be with the Lord in the early 80s, named Keith Green, and uh, somebody made a live album where they heard him in concert, and he was talking about this scripture as he was leading into a song, and at the end of his explanation of this passage, and he did it in a very dramatic way that I won't try to reproduce here. At the end, he said, the only difference between the sheep and the goats in this passage, make sure you heard that, is in what they did and did not do. If you notice, both groups were like, what? When did we ever do that? But because the first group were the righteous of his father, and they would be on his right, so they're on this side, so I guess you guys are the sheep today. He calls them the righteous of his father, and they just acted like Jesus without realizing they were acting like Jesus. And the goats, and I'm not going to call you guys goats, trust me. I, I, I first do no harm, right? Um, but the goats that are on his left ask the same, when did we ever see that? But because of the nature that they had, they did not do or act like Christ. I'm so thankful Colossians says that my old nature has been crucified with Christ, that God put it to death. But then in verse 5 of that same chapter, that was in verse 3 and verse 5, he says, so you put to death the things that are remaining. In other words, there's some cleaning up still to do. And he tells, he commands us to, to do that, to, 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 to put that down. And this defines a Christian family, a family that is ministering to those in need outside of it. 
And so by that basis, I mean, I could have, you know, Bible studies all the time with my kids, but if it doesn't act in a way that, that has a, a practical application in life, how, how good is that? You see, we serve Christ when we serve people, right? Hebrews 13, I don't know if you're familiar with that text. Uh, I love Hebrews 13, um, which shouldn't mean anything to you. But he says, let brotherly love continue. So he, he's defining love here in this passage. He says, well, the first one there, brotherly love, we all love each other. And then he says, don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Now, listen, I, I miss it sometimes. I, number one, well, I'm not going to give you all my excuses. I like peanut butter. That's close enough. And so sometimes I don't act friendly, and I don't mean not to. I just, I don't, and I'm not going to make an excuse for it. But, but he says, don't, be careful not to do that because some have entertained angels unawares. Now, I don't know if you're an angel or not. You know, there's no earthly way to tell that. And, and, but the Bible says it in a literal way there. That, that there are times when that person who we see may be a test from God or an opportunity from God to see what we would do. And then he goes on to talk about, um, remember those in prison, as if you're in prison with them. Those who are mistreated, since you are also in the body. And then in marriage, that we are to love. And so he brings it into the family. And, and I, the first sermon in this series, I was going to try to define the family and, uh, and, and my outline and my sermon wasn't prepared very well, not because for lack of trying, but because it's not how I usually do it and wasn't real great. And then we got hit by lightning the night before and we got here and boy, all bets were off. And I didn't even get halfway through that and I've never come back to it. But let me help you understand something. Who is in, who is in charge of everything? God, right. Amen. And... Uh, <laughs> A friend of mine put something on Facebook that was a blessing to me, and I wrote, wow, I never even saw that before, but I needed that right now. Thank you. And, and it's, a, it's somebody I know. It's a girl I know. My wife has read all that. She knows. But she said, well, it was a God thing. And I said, everything's a God thing. Right? Everything in our life is a God thing. And, and we are to serve people, and when we do Something happens, and I didn't define the family because if God's in charge of everything, how does God reveal himself? Now, I would not say God is a man. In fact, the Bible says you make a mistake when you say God is a man and and thinks as a man. He's God, but he has revealed himself in masculine form. Now, this isn't a slam on the ladies. Don't, don't, Don't go anywhere. This is not a slam on the ladies. Keep listening. And he has revealed himself as father and son. And the Holy Spirit, there is a, they, there's a masculinity there that should be reflected by men. Well, what does that mean? How does God father us? How does Christ love us as the husband of the church, which is his bride? How does he do that? That's how us men ought to do that. And men, I'm going to make a real bold statement. I don't know who you're married to, and I don't know what she's like, and I don't want to know. But I know this, you picked her, you married her, it's your job to love her. I don't care what she does. I don't care where she goes or what she says. That is your job. And the Bible says, and as long as she's content to live with you, that's your job. Well, that's right. It says, 
hey, if you're saved and they're not, and they are acting ugly and they want to leave, there's nothing you can do about that. But it's up to you as long as they're willing to live with you for you to love them. That's the man's job. So when a man starts whining and complaining and acting like a child, that's what I remind him of. You picked her. You got to love her. Right? Amen. The wife's job is to respond to that kind of godly love. Right? Just as the church responds to the godly love of our husband in Christ, who is Christ. Amen? Listen, y'all ought to be saying amen to that. And then the church is compared not only to Christ's bride, but that we are a family, that we are brothers and sisters together. And the church is only as strong as the families within the church. Right? So, see, the disobedience of the Israelites in the wilderness was no excuse for Moses to quit on what God had told him to do. Right? So somebody in my family's disobedience to what God said is no excuse for me not to be obedient to what God said. And I'm just speaking as a man to men. I'm just trying to encourage the men right here. And, and don't take this as fussing. Take this as encouragement. It's as best I can do. It's your job to love your wife, and I don't care your problem about that. I do care. I want to help you with that. But what I'm saying is there's no excuse not to. And if you if you got serious problems, then, you know, as a lady, you need help, you know, uh, to, 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 to deal with that. But, guys, if you struggle with how to love your wife, that I, I want to help you with that. I want, I want us to be able to do that. Because a Christian family is one that is together ministering for the Lord. And if your family structure is not good and you don't have a good relationship within your family, you're not going to be able to minister for the Lord because what are you ministering? Uh, a wise man told me one day, this is for all the single ladies, especially teenagers, or young singles in the church. And I don't care if you're a boy or a girl. Never date a lost person. Never date a guy who says he's saved. So he can date you. Make sure he's got all that straight. Before you ever go on the first date. How many of you in here right now are married? Raise your hand please. Okay. Everybody look around. Look at all the hands. Okay. Everybody put your hands down. How many of you on the very first date with your spouse current spouse, you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt you were going to marry them. Wow, that's a big difference. <laughs> never date a lost person, you'll never marry a lost person. Just saying. It's an important principle we, we got to learn. But if you did marry them, love them, men, and, and be what you ought to, ought to be. And, and so this wise man told me one time, um, he said, sometimes young people say, well, I know they're not saved and all that, but I'm going to date them and hope that they'll get saved. Well, what, what Christianity are you going to win them to? Because you just compromise what the Bible says not to be unequally yoked. So you're going to win them to a compromised Christianity to start with. Right? So if our families aren't functioning as well as, and, no, and nobody's perfect. Remember, I did an apology tour last week before the sermon. I feel like doing that every week. I get it. None of us are perfect. I haven't done it right every time. You haven't done it right every time. We get it. Both of us are messed up. We need each other. We need help, right? But if our families aren't as good as we can help and just fighting to make it the right thing, what are we going to win people to? Oh, get saved and be like us. Because that's what Paul says in Corinthians. I was coming to that as... 
Well, actually, I wasn't, but, but I was going to say, Paul says in Corinthians, you follow Christ the way I do it. Just follow him the way I do it. He's saying, follow me, because I'm following Christ. We try to water that down and say, oh, yeah, well, he's, our exa- he's an example of how to. Paul was bold in that. He said, if you do what I do, you'll be all right. Would you tell a brand new Christian, if you follow Christ like I follow Christ, you'll be okay. And if not, don't say, ooh, well, I wouldn't be as good as Paul. Get as good as Paul. Dig in, man. Get a hold of it. If you're a man, if you're the father, if you're a husband, you don't have children yet, if you're thinking about doing that, become the man God wants you to be wherever you are. And you say, well, what about the women and children? Well, they got their roles, but I promise you this. If all the men would get right, we'd have a lot less trouble having, helping the ladies and the children to get right. Because they will respond to God's work in a man's life. And by the way, men, we are commanded to serve in this passage. There, there's a, it, it's sort of a command. Jesus says, this, you do it to the least, you do it unto me. And our job as a church... I'm going, to, I'm going to say something that's going to sound heretical. Don't cut me off before I finish. Our job is not to win the lost. Our job is not to tithe and give money to good causes. Our job is not to start churches. Our job is not to have Sunday school. Our job is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our might. If we do that, well, then we'll do all the others. You see what I'm saying? You with me? You tracking? Okay, good, good. As long as, you, as long as you're hanging in there with me, as I said, hang in there to the end. And, and so if we are doing this to the least of these, we're following Christ's command to serve because our job is to serve Christ, not to serve men. We serve men, but as we are serving Christ. And that's what he says in this illustration in Matthew, that the sheep served the least and the goats The sheep served the least, and the goats did not. And that reveals their nature. It reveals who they are. Because we're judged when we do not serve. We're going to stand before God and say, well, why should I let you into my kingdom? And the Bible doesn't say you ask that question. It's a great question to ask yourself. What if God looked at you and said, why should I let you in to my perfect heaven? The only answer is, well, you shouldn't. Right? Right? God is not unjust when someone goes to hell. God is unjust when someone goes to heaven. But to be just, he had to send Jesus to die so that he could justly let us come into heaven. Because Jesus had to pay the price for our sin. Because what is justice is I should go to hell. So Jesus took my justice upon himself to give me mercy and grace. I don't get justice, thank God. Because if God were just, I'd be in hell and I'd probably be there already. Okay, so just want you to follow that as well. And this passage is telling us that we ought to serve others. I, I, I had a phrase for you to take home with you. And up in the booth, they're going, where is he? Because I, have, I threw away the outline when I got up this morning, basically. I'm going to give you a little bit of it and invite you to come back tonight. But ministering to the least so that we can give them the best. That, that, that's what I want you to take home with you. As we minister to people, why are we ministering? Are we giving them food just because they're hungry? No, we're giving them food so we can tell them about the bread of life. When we clothe the naked, are we saying, here's some clothes because you're naked? No, we're saying, hey, be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And we ought to say those things to them. Right? When they're in prison, especially, I mean, when this was written, and even today in China, 
All those products you buy made in China was probably made by political prisoners, and they're political prisoners because they're Christians, and that's how that's why it's so cheap everything comes from China, because Christians who have been arrested make them, by and large. That's just a fact, okay? And, and so in those days, the prisoner was someone who was imprisoned for their faith, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't visit those in prison, right? Because what would solve crime in America if everybody got saved? Right? If everybody's a follower of Jesus Christ, man, crime would get cut out, right? And a lot of problems would be fixed by that. And so when we come to, to as a family, we come to this idea that we are raising adults, okay? And so I just want to help you with this. We're raising adults. And, and what do we do? And, and, and I want to show you some fields of influence. Can you put that circle up there? It's in, your, in the little handout, I believe. I didn't bring mine up. Yeah, I did. Um, you, you see that? I think you have that. I don't know if yours is blank or not. No, yours is full. Good. Praise the Lord. Let me just tell you what that means. You are in the very center because you're number one. Okay. All right. And, and that doesn't mean you are number one. This is just so you understand. Radiating out from you are fields of influence. Okay. And so the very first person that's got to be right with God is you. You can't make your husband or your wife right with God. you got to be right with God. Okay? And, and so where are you right now? I don't care if you're the husband or the wife. I was kind of trying to encourage the men earlier. But husband, wife, child, where are you in relationship to Christ? Are you a follower of Christ? Are you chasing Christ? Are you going after him? The Bible says there's none righteous, not even one. There are none who seek after God. So if God doesn't work in you to seek him, you won't seek him. So if God speaks to you and puts in your heart, man, I want to seek after God. I want to be like Christ. Brother, respond to that. Sister, follow that because the devil's never going to encourage that. That's God telling you that you need Christ and you need to follow him and you need to get after him. And so if you're going to have a great family, first you've got to be right, no matter who else you live with. In fact, the Bible says that wives are saved by their husbands sometimes and Husbands get saved because of their wives. And, 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 and when you get that thing function, it's best. The next step out is your immediate family. What are you doing to make sure your family is following the Lord Jesus Christ? Let me just tell you. Not only does a wife need a st- stability in her husband, but a family needs a stability in the parents. Children need a stability in moms and dads. That is an important thing. And in today's world, we we live in a reality that has this reality a lot more than it used to. And so we have to work with this. And and again, if you think I'm fussing at anybody for anything, I am not. You cannot diagnose the disease without diagnosing the disease, right? But now we have a lot of what we call blended families. You know, know, we say step families or, you know, like a stepdad. Janice had a stepfather for, for 10 years, but... He came about the same year that Janice and I got married. Her mom was single for about 20 years, raising her three children by herself. And then she married a godly man. Same year we got married. And then he got cancer and died. They were only married 10 years. But So there was this blended family. She has a stepbrother, stepsister is what we would call them. But they were all adults when that happened. So, you know, the closeness sitting there. But in today's world, a, a young man with children, a young woman with children, sometimes they marry each other. Now you've got a blended family. How do you work that? How do you do that? It, it, it can be complicated. And, and we need help. But let me just tell you one place where you can help stabilize that. 
it's, it's something called church. Because in church, there are some people blessed by God to not have gone through what you have gone through if you have a blended family. Because listen, that, that is a terrible thing no matter how you got there. It was a bad situation, I can promise. Because you didn't just wake up one day and go, I'm tired of being happy. Let's just split up and make everything go to the pot. No. That's a bad deal from the beginning. And I get that. And so you need healing. You need nurture. You need love. God loves us, and you're not going to do anything to make him quit loving you. So he wants you to, to, to be healed in him. But, but what's happening, we live in a society that that is more indicative of a society that does not get stable in what they do and does not decide, I'm going to be a follower of Christ and nail that down. And so we see it, and we, we even talk about it now amongst people that study church and how it works, where we have church hoppers. We call them shoppers and hoppers. They, they look around, and they find a church where they feel good, and that's where they go. I had a young man, 25 years old, was telling me, he does not a member of this church, a member of another church, and that they got a new pastor. The founding pastor of their church felt, sorry about that, felt called to go somewhere else. And, and so he just left, and, and, and they were telling me that they got a new pastor. And I said, well, how do you like him? So, well, uh, he's okay. You know. So, well, he means, well, he's a good guy. But he just, the other guy was real personal. He was a great communicator. This guy's struggling. And uh, so I said, well, were you? You know, where are you? You think about leaving? He went, I don't go to church for the pastor. I'm committed to the church, not the pastor. I'm like, 25-year-old guy said that? That's pretty good. And kids need a place. Before I was married, I went to parenting classes. I hope you heard that whole sentence. Before I was married, I went to parenting classes. Because I figured, unless God really called me to it, and I certainly didn't feel called to it, one day I was going to get married and have kids. I didn't feel called to not having that. So it took me a while, but we got there. And in one particular of those classes I went to, this man was illustrating that children need a place. They need a security. They need something that that's home. And it could be a teddy bear or a blanket, like a military family has to move a lot. So those kids will have something you better not. They make commercials about it. You know, somebody leaves. We went on a family vacation across the country. And my daughter, my oldest daughter, had gotten a baby one time. And so she called it baby because she could barely speak. And then somebody gave her a second one. So we had baby and more baby. Because <laughs> she didn't know how to say another baby. So she said this baby, more baby. Then her little sister got a baby and she called her poor baby. <laughs> <laughs> so Cameron, who, the girl that just gave us her fifth grandchild, her third child, we're on this cross-country trip, and in Arizona, we left the hotel, and we're down the road, and we realize she left poor baby at the hotel. So we called them. They said, we found it. What's your address? We'll ship it to you. Thank the Lord. And so we told her, it'll be home when we get there. You know, poor baby's fine. So that was a good thing. They need a place. Children need a place to call home at church. I still have notes. I've told you this before, but in this context, maybe it'll make more sense. As an eight-year-old boy, as a redhead, ADHD, talkative, fidgeting little boy, I stood in front of the church and said, I believe God's called me to be a preacher. I still have notes from lifelong friends of my parents in that church 
encouraging me as an eight-year-old kid. Didn't even understand it back then. My mom probably had to read them to me. I don't know why I still have them, but I got some. And it's, oh, we know God's going to use you. We're praying for you. All those people are in heaven now, obviously. As an eight-year-old kid. In our new members class, we describe why we believe in church membership. And I know people say, well, I'm a member of the church universal. Well, I joined the gym universal. <laughs> That's the best illustration I ever heard about how foolish that is. Well, I'm a member of the gym universal. When do I go and work out? Never. So what good's it doing me? None. Here's a biblical reason for formal church membership. Christ is committed to the church to the point that he died for it. You say, oh, that's the church universal. The church universal is only seen in the local church. Just saying, that's, that's Bible. Christ loved the church. He gave his life for it. There's a cultural reason. It's an anecdote to no stability, to no commitment whatsoever. There's a practical reason it defines who can be counted on. Every team has a roster. I watched my favorite football team play football last night. They played 115 different players because they were so far ahead it didn't matter. And they were still scoring with those guys too. But guess what? They wouldn't have let me on the field if I'd have been there. Why? Because I wasn't on the roster. I wasn't a member. Every school has an enrollment. They know when the kid cut hooky because he's supposed to be there and they took roll. Every business has a payroll. I do not get a check from McDonald's because I don't work for them. Right? Every army has an enlistment. And if you don't show up, they call that AWOL and come find you. <laughs> Even the country takes a census and requires voter registration. Membership defines who you can count on. And then... In family life, I counsel young people who've lived together. And if you want to guarantee that it's going to be harder to stay together after marriage, live together before you get married. Because you've just busted all trust whatsoever. Because the Bible commands you not to do that. And if you will compromise with the one you think you love before marriage, how will you trust them 20, 30, 32 for us in December and all of a sudden, you got a little belly, and you're gray around everywhere, and nothing's as high or tight as it used to be. <laughs> and that pretty young thing or that handsome young man pays that person attention, and you go, how can I trust them? I couldn't trust him when we were dating. Just saying. If there's a personal reason, it produces spiritual growth. Because if you've got accountability to a brother or sister in the Lord, to the church, you're going to do better, right? Well, the context of this was to explain how you as a family could minister outside of your family. And you got some stuff in there that will help you look at that. We'll come back tonight and I'll talk about some practical ways to do that. Because you got relatives and it goes on in those circles. you got some close friends. you got business associates, acquaintances. I started a conversation yesterday with a neighbor I never talked to before. He knew very little English, and I knew very little Spanish, but we got through. But I know they understand food, so we're going to have to do that one day, right? Eat. <laughs> yes, like you, <laughs> right? And so there's some things you can do. Well, like I said, I threw out my regular outline, so up there in the booth, don't worry about it. We're not going anywhere else. Don't even, don't put, even put up the practical points, but I will say this. You need to discuss, you can put up the first one if you got it. If they're all three on one, don't put them up. Um, 
discuss your family's spheres of influence. How are you doing? First of all, check yourself. Check your family. Let each person do that. But then, how do you minister to your next closest relatives? Say, well, they don't, we, don't, all don't, we don't get along. I get that. I, I, I came from a, a family on one side that was a lot of Irish people. And they all had Irish Alzheimer's. Y'all know what that is? You forget everything but the grudge. All right? So there, you might have some relatives like I do that might need some ministry. The other thing I always say is half my family's in jail and the other half put them there. Because you're either a cop or a crook in my family. So. so just look at that. Who is it in your family you can minister to? Who needs Christ? And then discuss ways, the second thing I would tell you. How can we minister to the next level? Maybe you're already ministering to family. Go to the next level or the next. And just figure out. and be. Listen, I had some hints about it. Look around you. Listen to people and see where their needs might be. And then linger with them. Stay, stick with them. Don't, don't run away from them. And let God use you in their life. Jesus hung out with sinners and publicans and drunkards and prostitutes and thieves. You say, where? Mary Magdalene, Zacchaeus, Matthew. And when he got around religious people, they didn't like him. And he called them whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but you're corrupt inside. These people, they were corrupt. Now they're clothed in the righteousness of God. So figure out who it is you can minister to and linger with them and be like Jesus. Hang out with them and help them to learn the truth of who God is and what God can do for them. Let's pray. Father God, in Jesus' name.